0: Church, we are continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke this morning, and uh, in the last passage we looked at, was which was the end of chapter 17 and the beginning of chapter 18, Jesus was answering questions about the kingdom, what the kingdom is, when it's coming, where it is, things like that. And so we started exploring what the kingdom is, and his kingdom discussion will continue into our passage Today, In fact, I hope you'll notice that in each of the three vignettes, these, these groups of people that Jesus deals with, his response to them is about the kingdom and looking at this type of person and using what they're like to help us understand how we become citizens of the kingdom, how we enter into it, how we receive it. So, This is Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 34. Now, people were even bringing their babies to him for him to touch. But when the disciples saw it, they began to scold those who brought them. But Jesus called for the children, saying, Let the little children come to me and do not try to stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Now, a certain leader asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've wholeheartedly obeyed all these laws since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was extremely wealthy. When Jesus noticed this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Then who can be saved? He replied, What is impossible for mere humans is possible for God. And Peter said, Look, we have left everything we own to follow you. Then Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. There is no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of God's kingdom who will not receive many times more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Then Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, Look, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, mistreated and spat on. They will flog him severely and kill him. Yet on the third day, he will rise again. But the twelve understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what Jesus meant. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, in this moment of silence, would you speak to us about your word? Lord, we pray as you taught us to pray. We 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 want your kingdom to come. Let your kingdom come, Lord. Let it come. Lord, thank you that in your ministry you are constantly trying to show what it looks like that kingdom is in that 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 your kingdom, that heaven is invading earth, that it's come in you. And now, Lord, I, I pray that you would allow us to see how we can enter into it how we can receive it in this time and place for your glory and our good in jesus name amen amen so in the last section that we looked at again we were talking about the questions of when when is the kingdom coming where is it where where are these things happening and the posture uh that we can have to receive it we heard the story of of um the the tax collector and the pharisee and the temple praying and and one of them was justified we we uh we heard um we heard uh about you know uh two people walking through a field one leaving one disappearing and the other Remaining and, and we ask these questions about the kingdom and the discussion about the kingdom continues. In fact, I think that scene really continues, but uh, but we have a little bit of a change because there's an interruption. People are bringing kids close to Jesus, little kids, little babies. They're bringing them close to Jesus, and it's it's causing a distraction, and so this sparks. For Jesus, more discussion about the kingdom and, and whatever else the kingdom is, it's something that we can both receive and something that we can enter. And so there's more dynamics to what the kingdom is that I think we can explore here. I mean, the kingdom is not the military conquest that the Pharisees were expecting. It's a renewal of all things it's the thing we're hoping for when we say eternal life it's the definition of peace it's the restoration of broken things it's it's the ending of competition, compulsion, coercion. It's the very authority and power that is Jesus and flows out of Jesus and so Jesus meets these kids he he hears the reaction to them he meets this, this rich young ruler and and responds to him and th- and then he reacts to the disciples' reaction to all of that and and so out of that we start to answer some questions about Jesus but we're going to look at that through these three groups of people and I want to call them three different things the the kids are the unqualified receivers the the young ruler is the haunted earner. And the disciples are the blessed followers. And these are the positions that I want us to think about ourselves in. Unqualified receivers, haunted earners, and blessed followers. Let, let's talk about these kids for a second. Oh, we love this, this scene of Jesus saying, let the little children come to me. You know why? Because we are the recipients of actually a, a couple centuries of just celebrating the innocence of children and and we have poetry and and books and and you know and early childhood education and and research about the you know about kids and how to foster and tend to kids and we have all of this wonderful stuff and and that gives us some great places to start as far as thinking about how we could uh, enter the kingdom or receive the kingdom as a child like a little child and and you've got a lot of stuff that you've heard about that and it's good stuff you know um, uh, not caring about what other people think about you asking bold brash questions but being playful and creative and and on and on we've we've got this wonderful stuff about kids uh that um wow it that's great that's really great that's nothing at all what the disciples were dealing with in that moment but it's really nice um here's here's what i want you to think about i'm i'm going to talk especially to the crowded rows in the back of this section you know when your kid is just blowing up sunday you know that that sunday when when it is so loud i mean hey like stephen's in the back of the room because james is is blowing up today right I mean it's it's a rough day for James. And and there's like look, I've got four kids in this church. They're 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 doing great now, but they've all gone through really rough days at church. You know, the this that moment when it's like you we gotta get you out of here. It is this is too much. You have no awareness of the other things that are happening and what people are and can't you just let mommy and daddy have a moment to pray and sing, please? And it's not happening. That that is what's happening here. The disciples are not looking at them like, oh, they're cute, but Jesus has more important things to do. The disciples are like, get these kids out of here. They are they are just ruining this this is a big mess and culturally you know it's not that kids were like you know unloved or or whatever but but uh culturally kids were not valued in the same way that our culture values kids there are no child labor laws or or child abuse laws i mean the, the you know kids they they have to be sort of uh you know Forced to become what they're supposed to become and if they go off course they're in for trouble um that's the type of kids that we are talking about here they're not not necessarily innocence they're self-obsessed dependents that's what we're looking at here these are kids who would not survive on their own friends the synagogues do not have a nice children's ministry to send kids off to and so kids are are a distraction in many ways from the 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 thoughtful study of the torah that would be happening even though we're tempted to think of the cute moments we have to think instead of the moments when your kid is sabotaging your experience of church we love them so much and you need to know, uh, you probably wonder, like, when I'm preaching, I don't even hear it, so just, I know everyone else does, but I, I'm like, hey, you know, it's just exciting in here. Um, so, in response to the disciples trying to hold them back, Jesus says something that is translated so generically. He says, let the little children come to me. And it's a bummer that he tra- that it's translated so generically into the word, let, Because that word is the same word he uses, oh, in the Lord's prayer, when he teaches us to to ask, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The word forgive is the same word as the word let. When Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It's the same as the word let in this word passage let the little children come to me what is he saying he's saying don't hold something against them before they can access me remember we think about forgiveness in in terms of the way jesus teaches us in the lord's prayer as uh, as saying to somebody there's nothing else you owe me in order to restore a relationship there's nothing else you need to do you you don't have to you don't have to change any more behavior. You don't have to give me anything else. There's nothing else you owe me. I'm wiping your debts away. Jesus is saying to wipe away anything that they think the kids might owe to to a- have access to him. Let them come to me. That's what he's saying. Now, I, I can't not mention this. John Calvin loves this. Passage. John Calvin, the the you know Swiss reformer, um, you know the father of uh, Presbyterianism, and here we are. Uh, He loves this passage, especially as a justification for infant baptism. You know, here's Jesus saying, "Let the little children come to me. Don't hold them back. Let them come to me." And I mean, he wrote for pages and pages about how this was a justification, uh, a defense for infant baptism. Um, and, you know, I'm on board with that. I'm, I'm not here to say I think John Calvin is wrong. Um, but we have to take it all the way. If we're going to hear what Jesus is saying and, and what John Calvin is interpreting, it means that the kids of this church, the kids in this spiritual family, their weaknesses and their strengths, their their bad attitude days and their good attitude days, their, their cutest moments and their most um pseudo demonic moments you know all of those moments together are part of this church family and you know there's we have little things on on the table you know once in a while you might stumble across it that explains this church's position towards the kids in this church that that their noises their cries their laughter all of that is welcome in this place You know, I I grew up, I I love the church that I grew up in, um, but I thought of the sanctuary as big church, you know, and it was kind of like scary and you had to be kind of like, you had to be good to go in there, you know. I don't know if you guys called it big church when you were kids. I want the kids of this church to think of this room as a room that they are every bit as comfortable in as, you know, as the other rooms that they go to. They are part of this church family. Their spiritual gifts are part of the gift set of this family. We have to take it all the way. So, parents, when your kids are exploding during worship and you can't take it anymore, that's your chance to hear Jesus say, Let the little children come to me. <laughs> run. A, who whispered, Run? Don't run. Don't run. Let the little children come to me. That's your chance to look at them, look at them laying on the ground, kicking things, spilling things, whatever, and say, I am invited to receive the kingdom like that. Because sometimes that's how I need to receive it. I'm. Someone brought me here. I'm erupting. And the Father's only rebuke is for those who are trying to tell me to calm down. So, how do we be like them? Well, the first way we can learn how to be like them is by looking at someone who is absolutely and utterly not like them. And that's, of course, the guy who comes to Jesus. It's the, he, Jesus has been asked this exact same question before in the Gospel of Luke. Back in chapter 10, uh, a legal expert, a, a sort of religious expert, asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He asked him the exact same question that's where Jesus gives the the great commandments you know love the Lord your God with all your heart mind soul and strength love your neighbor as yourself and that guy sort of presses in on Jesus like oh yeah but who is my neighbor you know and that's the whole thing it leads to the story of the Good Samaritan and that's more of a like a philosophical debate that you know I'm testing to see what you know and that's not what's happening here in fact, this scene in the gospel of Mark Mark gives us a couple other details. This guy runs up to Jesus and falls at his feet. And so through his panting because he's been running, he asks this desperate question. And and the other guy doesn't say, you know, good teacher. The other guy says just teacher, well, you know, what must I do to be saved? Let's let's talk about this, you know, but this guy, good teacher, he is desperate. What must I do? to be saved. So who is this guy? I'm calling him the haunted earner, but, but who is he? Well, number one, according to Jesus, he's an oppressive theologian. The guy says, good teacher, and, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And and I've read that for a long time as him saying, don't call me good, that's wrong. But uh, big picture, that that's not right. Jesus, you know, this is Jesus, the God in flesh. You know, he, he wouldn't tell someone not to call him good. But if you look at the way he says the question, why do you call me good? Here's what he's doing. He is drawing attention to the question. It's like, here he is. Here's all the disciples. And he's, he basically says, huh, did you guys notice that this guy called me good? And in fact, this guy is, is probably using a, a, a Hebrew word for good that was almost exclusively used for God as a way to describe God. The guy knows what he's doing when he says it like this. He is saying, you're good in a way that only God is good. He's a, he's a skilled theologian. And Jesus is pointing it out. He's not saying the title is wrong. He's drawing attention to it. It's a moment that works in two directions. You know, his response highlights who Jesus is. Jesus is saying this this young guy, this impressive guy, knows who I truly am. His theology is correct. It's very different from the first time Jesus was asked a question like this. You know, there it was a test. Here it's worship. It's honest. This guy is asking Jesus because he believes somehow that God is present in and through this person that he's talking to. But Jesus' response also when he says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. is I love how Tim Keller says it. He, he says, Jesus is telegraphing his punch here. He's about to say some things to this guy that are going to expose him. God alone is good, and you, my friend, are not as good as you think. So he's an impressive theologian. He's also an impressive neighbor. Um, The answer to both questions in chapter 10 and here has to do with how we treat other people. Did you notice the list of the things Jesus says to him uh, when the guy asks the question? They're all from the second half of the Ten Commandments, the the second table of the law, as we call it. the The first bit of the Ten Commandments are about how we love God well. The second bit are about how we love others well. and And outside of Commandment number ten, Jesus lists all the how to love your neighbor commandments. You know, uh, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, don't murder. <laughs> That's good. Um, you know, don't commit adultery. He kind of lists off these commandments he kind of jumbles the order i i couldn't find a reason for why he did that he's just he's just listing them as they come to his mind i guessed i guess um so you know um when the guy asks the question and jesus answers like this about hey you know the way you inherit eternal life the way you live with eternal life as a possession of yours is by loving those around you by loving your neighbor that's beautiful that's what he said the first time that's what he said the second time and and what's so notable about this guy is that he says yeah i'm doing all those things and and it's not a brag you know think about the scene he's on his knees he's asking jesus hey there's there's something wrong I'm doing all the right stuff, and something's not working. That's why he's there asking the question. If he thought all of that stuff was working, he wouldn't be here asking Jesus. This isn't a boast. It's a confession. I'm doing the right thing, and it still doesn't seem to be working. And and that response when he says, I've done all this stuff wholeheartedly since I was a little kid, Jesus doesn't argue with it. He's not like, oh, yeah, right, <laughs> you know, which is what i would be tempted to do you know it's what he would say to me if i had said that yeah oh mm. um, no jesus sees this guy is an impressive guy i mean this guy is rich for the right reasons his integrity with people has earned him authority and wealth i mean perhaps throughout your life you have met people like this, people who have, you know, some really big deal position, some respectful job that, you know, they have renowned somebody who has a lot of money. And, and once in a while you meet someone and you think, well, if anyone deserves it, that person does. You know, that, that's, yeah, I, I see it. You know, a lot, of, a lot of times we kind of paint the, the uber rich in bad light, like, man, why? Yeah, that happens to all the wrong people. But sometimes you meet someone and you think, Wow. That's the way to do rich that's great and and it seems that this guy is one of those guys he's impressive he's he's you know i don't know he's i don't what are the jobs that we respect the most uh, you know it, it's not pastor culturally um, doctor maybe i don't know uh you know people who work. Who work really hard, you know, have to a very specific set of skills, and 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 it's it's worth it. It's worth it what they earn, you know. I'm the son of a physician and a person of great integrity, so I'm probably biased, but um, yeah, that's who this guy is. And and when Jesus challenges him, and the guy goes away sad, and that whole, whole thing happens, like think about the disciples' immediate response. They're like, if this guy can't be saved who could you know they're not just sad that they're not just sad that like a shot got taken at at the rich they're like well i mean how could you do it better than that how could you do it better than this guy this guy is a haunted earner he's haunted there before jesus what must i do and what he's waiting for is jesus saying well there is one thing you do lack Oh, good. Like, I'm ready. Tell me, what's that one thing? I've got to to figure it out because all the rest of this stuff isn't working. But here's what he's haunted by. He's haunted by the money problem. It's too much and he needs it. This uh, you know throughout this year uh, a handful of us have been reading through the Bible together and and we'll start a uh, year two in January anyone's welcome to join in we're doing it through the Bible app it's been really cool to go through that with a whole bunch of you but if you're on track it's okay if you're not but if you're on track this week you read the letter written by James and and James is just so in your face about generosity about not privileging the rich of you know he even at the end of James he tells the rich to basically like weep mourn and wail because judgment is coming and there's a lot of that in the Bible there's a lot of that in the gospel of Luke you know blessed are to the poor woe to you who are rich it's like This is rough for people who live in South Denver. You know, if you're a homeowner and you have a full-time job, and you, like, Luke is rough, and we've talked about that a lot. Is there a chapter in Luke that doesn't pit riches against discipleship? Against true blessing? Jesus says, beware of all kinds of greed. You know, that... He says, no one can serve both God and money. That infuriates the Pharisees who love money. He pronounces blessings on the poor and woes on the rich. You know, that friends, the, the moral and ethical code of Jesus is more focused on our relationship to money and status, which are very related things, than it is on a whole bunch of the other things that we give a lot of attention to. I mean, for... <laughs> For every one thing that Jesus says about sort of sexual morality, he has 10 things to say about money. I mean, that's what he's focused on. One thing you lack. ah, the guy knows he lacks something. Friends, what a picture of real life. I mean, I want you to go back to maybe the picture, the person you thought of. Before maybe the the person the 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 most successful person you know the most impressive person you know the the person that you respect the most in the world you know think of think of that person you know you've you've met people who are that rare and wonderful combination of of achievement and character you know people like that do you know what that person sees when she looks in the mirror she sees her faults. In in fact, a lot of those people have become really good at covering over those things. They spend a lot of time tucking them away, trying to minimize them, but they are haunted by them, just like this guy. This guy falling at Jesus' feet, what must I do to be saved? I, I, I thought of that just heartbreaking scene at the end of Schindler's List, which is the uh, uh, the story of a real man, Oscar Schindler. You know, Schindler uh, r- ran a manufacturing um, uh, factory, and he employed a bunch of Jewish people and saved them from death. And so, and he you know, he would kind of pay bribes and do all sorts of things to get them in. And there's this scene where he's leaving, and and twelve hundred people, had their lives have been saved, and and he's you know as he's looking at all of these faces, he sees um, the people who aren't there. You know he starts to notice like, and he realizes the gold pin that he has on his suit could have saved another life. His watch could have saved another life. His his car could have saved ten more lives if he had just traded that. What's a car? He starts noticing. His weaknesses. I didn't do enough. That's how this guy feels. The one thing this man lacks is the source of his well being. His money and his position, they protect him from many difficulties. Remember, it's not just that he's rich, it's that he's a ruler, he's a person of great uh, authority. His money and position protect him from many difficulties and Jesus wants him to take the training wheels off. There's a difference between hedging our bets, diversifying our portfolios in terms of spiritual things, and going all in. This guy has hedged his bets. He has religious performance. He has social status. He has a juicy 401k. And and, and, and frankly, you know, I've, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years like i want to talk some sense into jesus like hey don't you realize how beneficial this guy could be if he held on to his wealth and started to funnel it into your ministry. Like, don't you think how, like, isn't that great? I started thinking sadly as I was studying this about different moments over the last couple decades where people have come to me and they're thinking of making a job change that's going to dramatically reduce their income. And and I, I think in most of those cases, I've said the right things, but in my heart, I'm like, are you sure? Um. 'Cause like, I I I think the other one would be better for your tithe, you know. Like, like, you know, there's that thing that fear in me. Um, here's a man Jesus could get something done with. Oh me of little faith. Jesus can do far more with anyone who's all in than with the comfortable, regular financial contributions of a powerful person. Just as a camel will never squeeze through the eye of a needle, depends on their achievements, will never squeeze into heaven. Friends, don't listen to the weird interpretations like, oh, yeah, well, there was a certain uh, gate that was called the eye of the needle and the camel had to get on its knees. Or, you know, other people say, well, uh, uh, there's, you know, there's a a type of uh, yarn or... uh, twine that the word sounds like the word for camel and it's really hard to thread into a name. no 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 this is this is jesus saying um a snowball's chance in hell that's what he's saying that's jesus is saying it is impossible that if we believe that our achievements are the thing that get us something for us to experience the kingdom it's impossible we got to go all in He's trying to set us free from the money problem. This yields a a weird reaction from uh, Peter. Um, Peter is like, here's all this. They're nervous. It's a weird moment. And Peter's like, "Well, oh, we're better than this guy. You know, we left everything to follow you. He couldn't do it, but we did. We did it. And you would think that after Peter responds like that, Jesus would have some word of correction, wouldn't you? You know, it's so surprising that, you know, you would think Jesus would say, like, hey, whoa, easy. You know, you got a lot to work on too. Oh, Jesus says, "I I tell you the truth. No one who's done what you've done left everything, left your family, left your homes to follow me you will rec- you know you will receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life friends peter in this moment is more like a child than ever before he's more like a child he's in this moment he's going look at me daddy look at what i can do you know that's what he's doing in this moment it's audacious it's disruptive it's like a kid. And to the and, and Jesus' answer for Peter is you and and your group, you guys are blessed followers. You're blessed followers. And what we hear in Jesus' answer is what the blessing is. There's um there's a category of theology called ecclesiology. That comes from the word ecclesia which is the greek word used for the church the gathering ecclesiology is the study of the church and jesus has soaring ecclesiology here it's wonderful here's what jesus is saying about the disciples the blessed followers he's saying you guys are hobbits yeah okay well let me explain um so uh the you know the if you know the story, and I hope you do, of the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings, you know, here, here's the what the story hinges on is these Hobbits. All Tolkien wanted to write about, did you know, all Tolkien really loved was Hobbits. He wrote all this lore of Hobbits and the Hobbit family lines and whatever. And it was his buddies, like C.S. Lewis and others, who said, hey, um, uh, Hobbits are only interesting when you when you take them out of the Shire. <laughs> uh And so so that's what he does. And that's what, you know, Gandalf comes and takes them out of the Shire. And then you follow hobbits on these wild adventures. These guys are hobbits, the disciples. They've left behind a simple, comfortable family life. They've left the comforts and predictability of the Shire. They're risking everything for a mission they barely understand. That's what they're doing. And they're gaining a family unlike anything they could ever dream I mean now they have wizards and elves for friends just like you friends Jesus is inviting us to trade in our family name for his whatever your wealth status is it is nothing compared to what the global body of Christ can do Jesus is saying, when you join in with this thing, you're joining in with something with more security, more power, more influence than you could ever dream. And it all hinges on all of those people leaving their security and influence and power behind to enter into it. That's what he's calling us to do. It is a family that has spread across empires and oceans. And as soon, notice this, as soon as this family gets too comfortable or too powerful in one place, just think about the story of the church in Europe, now the story of the church in the United States of America. As soon as it gets too comfortable or too powerful, it starts to dwindle in those places and it shifts. You know where the heart, the center of Christianity is right now? It's in Africa. It's in Southeast Asia, it's in South America, it's it's among the poor of this globe and they are experiencing more power, more growth, more flowing of the spirit than we could dream right here in Littleton. That's what he does, that's the family that we get to be a part of. We're part of the most generous kingdom in history because of our king. Andy Crouch it's one of my favorite authors. And as he reflects on how we are to use power in this life, he compares the two women who were perhaps the two most influential women of the 20th century, Princess Diana and Mother Teresa. These were, I mean, these are the, the two most influential women. I mean, they, they are featured in all sorts of uh, places. And, you know, and and there couldn't be a greater contrast I mean, the one is, you know, part of the royal family has, has just limitless wealth, is extraordinarily beautiful, is, you know, this, just this cultural icon, right? And the other is this kind of awkward, short, elderly woman who lives amongst the destitute. Crouch highlights how, how insane it is. That though the prominence of Diana is effectively impossible to achieve, everybody tries for it. On the other hand, the sacrifice of Teresa is possible for anyone to achieve. All it takes is giving up everything. All it takes is giving up everything. And hardly anyone is willing to do it. Hardly anyone can come close to gaining the the fame and money of Diana. Everyone can give up whatever they have. No matter how much you have, you can give up whatever you have. Anyone can do that. It is accessible to all of us. This is the scandal of following Jesus. No matter what you have, all he asks is that you give it up. And that's why the more you have, the harder it is. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. And in this, in the age to come, what you'll experience if you do that? Eternal life. Is it because they were good enough? No, it's because they gave up everything to join the right family. That family enjoys eternal life. These disciples, the very guys who rebuked the kids for coming, are such as these. I mean, they're disruptive kids themselves. And it gets proven in the next scene. Jesus gives a prediction of his death. And and the disciples respond the way, you know, when... When I'm going on and on in my house about certain things and I see a certain look in my kids' faces, I'm like, they're going to say okay at the end of this and they will not have heard a single word that I just said. And that happens uh, fairly often. That's what they do. They're like, well, he's talking about something. They don't understand. They're so childish in that moment. And yet here, here is the Son of Man. Think about this. We talk about the Son of Man as this glorious title, and it is. But it also says, this is the father's baby. This is the the little child. It's, it's, It's a childish phrase. The little child of heaven eternally begotten the apple of the father's eye on a mission to save the other children. He's not just a little child. Here is the true rich young ruler. You think that guy is impressive and rich? Think about Jesus in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father, owning the universe. And he gave up everything. He gave up all of his riches to follow you to the ends of the earth. He sold it all and gave it to the poor, to you and me. And here as the disciples listen and scratch their heads, they are confused children who don't realize what's being done for them. Friends, I love theology. Let me tell you, oceans of ink have been spilled by theologians who are trying to explain exactly how Jesus' death saves us. But we don't really know. We have to receive it like little kids. What are you saying? How can this be? Well, what what matters, brothers and sisters, is that it is. And we have to just receive it. That's the story we tell at at the climax of our service each week. Friends, we don't know exactly how it works, but here's the rich young ruler who has given his very well-being for us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the ways that you love us. Lord, thank you that you expose our childishness and then you give us the gracious message that that's exactly how we get in. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, let us trade all. Let us let go of more and more of what we depend on to enter into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.